Asher, I'm always here. I'm like part of the furniture now. How are you doing? Tuesday's programme is the 21st of September 2021. It's your BBG live in Salford. Another lovely afternoon here in the great city. Thanks for finding me again. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, I may or may not have the funeral director, John O'Looney, live from Milton Keynes. I've not been in touch with him today. I've tried to be. I'm assuming he might be with us a little bit later on in the programme. But if he isn't, there is a contingency plan. Ordinarily, I do speak with my guests on the day of the conversations, you know. But I haven't managed to touch base with him. We'll see how it pans out. It is Tuesday's programme anyway. And you can comment at me, to me, about me on richieallen.co.uk. At the top of the page, comment live. You can have a proper go at me. Racially abuse me. I don't mind. I never do. Yes, I might just leave the theme tune run for about 20 minutes. No, I won't. Contingency plans and all of that. It is a bit of bit of a late summer. It's the dying of the summer, isn't it? Autumn equinox upon us. Lovely today, lovely afternoon. Love to be out in it, but I have a commitment to you. A commitment to the truth. I don't know about that. Well, I do, I suppose. I have a a commitment to free speech. That's what it is. What is true, what isn't true, that's for you to decide, not for me. I was intrigued this morning while I was doing my thing to hear so many people phoning into television and radio programmes in the country concerned about the fact that they might struggle to pay their energy bills this coming winter. Have you been following this? The surge in gas prices, the surge in the wholesale price, has seen UK energy suppliers get into serious trouble. The smaller ones have gone broke. Not all of them, four four or five of them. And this leaves the rest of us with the prospect of rising bills this coming winter. So some of the newspapers today had headlines, warnings that we might have another winter of discontent. Are you old enough to remember the 70s and a three-day working week? I'm not. And of course, I was born and reared in God's country. That would be Ireland. I don't remember it. I do vaguely remember. My mother drove at one time a hillman hunter which was a tank of a car. A tank. I do remember, I was born in 1974, late 74. I do remember being a very young boy and being in the car for hours and hours and hours while she queued up for petrol. Petroleum. Was that in the late 70s? I can't remember. Now, the Energy Secretary, Quasi Quarting, said, it's alarmist language by the papers, 
don't worry about it. There's no question of the lights going out. No question of people being unable to heat their homes. We won't go back to the three-day working week. No throwback to the 70s, he said. But this didn't assuage the fears of Joe and Josephine Public this morning. I'm not planning on spending too much time talking about this. I want you to tell me what you think of it. I kind of have an idea as to what you might think of it. This is part of an unfolding agenda. I'd be inclined to agree with you. The next stage, my great pal Tony Gosling texted me this morning. Maybe, maybe. I did find it interesting on BBC Radio 5 Live this morning, there was a gentleman whose name, let me just grab my notes, I've got a notepad there alongside me, lest I tell you something that isn't true. Uh, This guy's name was Andrew Long, the CEO of Switchcraft. Switchcraft, yes. That company enables people to switch to better tariffs constantly, you know, switch your energy providers. And he made some very interesting points to the BBC's Rachel Bird. And I won't play you the clips, I'll save some time here. But he basically said one of the one of the results, one of the consequences of the government's reaction to the rising wholesale price for gas and electricity is that the smaller firms are going to go out of business because the government is maintaining a cap of sorts on energy prices, meaning that smaller companies and bigger companies are selling the gas and the electricity for cheaper than they're buying it. And this guy, Andrew Strong, excuse me, Andrew Strong, Andrew Long said, he said, well, one of the consequences of this will be that the major energy retailers will be able to get over that. And the government has promised to bail them out. But the smaller ones are going to go out of business. And the result of that will be a lack of competition, a return to the old days, where you don't have very much competition and the consumer loses out. There are so many facets to this. You'll remember last week, the National Grid warned that there might be rising prices and electricity prices might rise because part of a power link between the UK and France was shut down because of a fire. You remember this last week. The National Grid said it could be more than six months before the power link is restored. And some of you scallywags were online saying, I wonder, was that deliberate? And I understand perfectly why you might think that. So it's all kicking off today. There's also a shortage of CO2. And that's being blamed for problems, potential problems with the meat supply. Now, it's funny, dear listener. It's funny. I was in my local supermarket this morning. I won't mention which one. But I I think you and I trust one another. You've never read a story on richieallen.co.uk where I use hearsay or a friend of a friend to make a point. So because I believe that you might just trust me a little bit. I'm going to do a bit of hearsay now, but I'm telling you the truth. I'm in one of my local supermarkets this morning and the shelves are, they're not quite empty. It it would be an exaggeration to say the shelves were empty, but there were more than half of the things that El Frogo Tremendo dispatched me to pick up 
I couldn't get them because lots of shelves were empty. Now, the manager of said superstore is a nice fella. I've only met him a couple of times. And to this day, he doesn't know that I'm a journalist. I'm just the guy who wears the flat cap with the outrageous Irish accent. Doesn't know who I am apart from my, my name. And I said to him, ah, Jesus, I can't get this and I can't get that. So he blamed Brexit on it. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to argue with anybody. I don't do that. Brexit, he said, and there is a shortage of heavy goods vehicle drivers. He was adamant about that. In that, of course, he's right. There's a big struggle at the moment. Firms are desperate. They're crying out, dear listener, for HGV drivers. So if you're somebody that can't stand the sight, the smell or the sound of your missus, or your mister anymore, and you've got a full driver's licence. Don't even think you need one. And you fancy driving an 18-wheeler up and down the country to get away from him indoors or her indoors. They're paying £16, £17 an hour now. Starting salary. They're desperate for HGV drivers. So anyway, my super supermercado, as they say in Spain, my manager says to me, so, Richie, yeah, Brexit and, and the HGV were just, there's loads of stuff missing. Fresh meat and various other products. Even dog food that I, that I get, particular dog food for that little diva bollocks of a golden retriever that we have, that she's got to have the best, you know. So, I said to her, look, what are you going to do? A non-secretor there. What are you going to do? And as I walked away, he said to me, and to make matters worse, Richie, We're sending staff home all the time. In fact, he said, we sent a couple of staff home this morning. I said, is that unusual for this time of year? There'd be the odd bug going around. And he said, it's way, way, way more unusual than it would have been in recent years. Are they getting the COVID, says I? I don't know, he said. Bearing in mind, this guy doesn't know what I do for a living. So anyway, I said something to him about football being on this week because he's into his football. And then I cheekily asked him as I went away, I said you shouldn't have too much trouble with the old COVID because I'm sure most of the staff in the store, which is a big store, are jabbed. And he said, well, pretty much every one of them have been double jabbed. Have they, I said. Yes, he said. And they're going down in their, in their droves, are they? Yes, he said. Now, I swear to God and to Sonny Jesus, five minutes later, I'm at the checkout with my little trolley of goods. And at the checkouts, there's a little desk in the middle of them where there's kind of like a supervisor or a controller. And as sure as you're listening to me, and I'm chatting with you, There was a bloke at this desk and he was speaking to the woman who was scanning my goods. And he said to her, are you sure, let's say, Sarah has to go home? And the checkout operator said, yeah, she's really not well. And he said, Jesus, we're stuck really badly as it is. And the lady on the checkout said, yes, we are. It's it's a nightmare. Only moments after I'd spoken to the manager. Now, what inference do we draw from that? Well, I suppose anyone you want, it would be irresponsible of me to say, well, it's the jab. Wouldn't it be irresponsible? Because I don't know. 
but I'd like to know. I'd like to know. He didn't tell me they're going home sneezing and coughing with sore throats and and heavy, you know, chest infections and stuff. But amazing. Perfect storm in my local supermarket. No goods. Well, some goods. But many essential goods not available. And the manager says... To get to make matters worse, the staff are dropping like flies. It's uh, 12 and a half minutes past the hour. Again, I didn't write about that on the website today because I don't want to be doing that thing that the truthers do. Putting stuff out there as if it's proof of something. It isn't proof of anything. What it is is very, very interesting indeed. My great friend Jean Ann Crowley is asking me about buying candles for this Christmas, for this winter. I don't know what's going on. What I believe, and I think we, we've we chatted about this on the programme many times, what I do believe is that there is an agenda to bankrupt every ordinary, and I am as ordinary as you. I'm not being condescending here. doesn't matter what you do for a living. I live in a council house in Salford. They want to bankrupt us. That's what they want to do. So rising energy prices, rising food prices is one way to begin bankrupting us. It's also one way to acclimatise us to living another way. No coincidence this is happening today when Biden and Johnson and others are addressing the UN General Assembly and they're talking a lot about climate change. These things are happening now, you know. So yeah, Read into my supermarket manager and what he said to me. Read into it what you will. There was a very interesting exchange between Julia Hartley Brewer and the retired paediatrician Dr Ross Jones this morning. I have, haven't I, my friend, taken some snippets of Julia Hartley Brewer and Ross Jones in the past. She's an interesting woman, is the retired doctor. They were conflabbing there's a great word, about the jabbing of the 12 to 15-year-olds. Now, Brewer, the presenter, tells the doctor that yesterday she, Julia, sent a stiff letter to her daughter's school. I found this very interesting indeed. I, uh, with a very heavy heart yesterday, I had to write a letter to my daughter's school, um, to uh, I say a school I love and a head teacher I hugely respect and admire, and basically say, look, you know, if you allow this to happen to my child on school premises, um, you know, I'm going to sue you um, and, and take criminal action as well for, you know, for, for, for giving my child treatment she does not need, uh, which could cause her a risk. Um, you're not anti-vax. I'm not anti-vax. This is a vaccine that saves lives, particularly of those who are, have health vulnerabilities or are old, elderly and, 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 and need this jab. There's no question at all, based on the evidence from the JCVI themselves, that, that teenagers of this age do not need this jab, and yet they're being given it. Yes, good stuff, Julia Hartley-Brewer. So she took matters into her own hands, sent a courteous but very firm letter to the school. Don't touch my daughter. What did Dr. Ross Jones make of that? No, I know. And it's, I think it was a very sad day for the British public when politicians decided to overrule their own statutory body who have really looked time and again. They've kept being asked again three times, July, August and September. They have said this is not appropriate for 12 to 15s because the risk 
of harm is real. It's not trivial. It's rare myocarditis, but it's estimated at one in 6,000 for 16 to 19 year olds on the Israeli data. So that's not exactly very rare. It's significant. And the other thing that's been said is, oh, well, it's, you know, it's mild, they get better. But the, what the JCVI wanted was to wait for the follow-up data from the states. It's not fair on American children for them to be our guinea pigs, but at the same time, given they did go before us, why on earth wouldn't we wait for their data? And there is a big study where they've shown 90% of the children with this post-vaccine myocarditis had significant damage on their cardiac MRI scans. Really important what she said there. Why would they not wait? And one in 6,000 is not rare. Why do you say that? Well, put that number alongside the risk of becoming seriously ill from COVID. That number is astronomical. It's way above one in 6,000. It's one in 100,000 or one in 200,000. I really should have looked that up, shouldn't I? To be sure about it, I will get it later on. But it's infinitesimally more unlikely that you will become seriously ill from, 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 from COVID itself than the jab, one in 6,000 with the myocarditis. And yet we won't wait for them to do their three-month follow-up. Yes, and, 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 I don't, so and I don't know I don't know any parent who would think that their child heart inflammation for their teenage child is, is, is a minor thing. I am sorry, that's not minor. No, of course it isn't minor. Dr Jones. So what we can do, what parents should do, I think A, they should do what obviously you've done, which is write to the schools. If you haven't yet had your um, appointment, write now and say that you think this shouldn't happen in schools. It could perfectly well have happened through the normal channel that if a parent really wanted it and a child wanted it, they just make an appointment for the vaccine clinic like anybody else does. But you remember Jeff Barton from one of the unions saying, oh, you know, we'd get a really good rollout in schools due to peer pressure. And peer pressure is not right. This is, this is it, it invalidates consent. Yeah. So I think they shouldn't be he did say that Jeff Barton represents a teaching union and he talked up encouraging uptake. He talked up using peer pressure to, to push children towards taking the jab. He really did. They shouldn't be doing it. And some head teachers are speaking out and saying they will not allow this to happen in their schools. But it's interesting so that the, the, the schools are saying, look, it's nothing to do with us. We're just providing the premises. But again, uh, there is there is pretty strong legal uh, advice that suggests that that's not the case. Schools in loco parentis uh, during school hours, allowing a child uh, to be jabbed, get medical treatment. You know, you know, if I have to write a letter for my child when she's in primary school to get a, uh, you know, a, a, a spoonful of Calpol or get or have a paracetamol on a school trip, the idea that the school isn't responsible for a jab being put in her arm is absurd. Absolutely right. The school is responsible. Back to Dr. Jones. Yeah, they clearly are. And there's health and safety legislation. And also the team are going to go home after, you know, half an hour after the last child's had their jab. If you have a child collapse in school, it's been quite clearly said that this will then be up to the school yeah. normal sick facilities, whatever they have. And how, you know, on earth that would be good for children's mental health if that really happened. So my Very good point by Dr. Ross Jones. In the event a child has an adverse reaction at school after receiving the jab, it's then over to the school nurse to take over. 
Yeah. So my other thing, apart from parents writing to the school, um, is that obviously sit down and talk to your child. These children are going to be offered Gillick competence. So you need to know what your child thinks. It's re really important to ask them, not just tell them what you think, find out what they think. If they don't want this jab, then that's great. You can encourage them and say how, you know, make sure they're brave enough to stand up to their mm. schoolmates and make sure when you send the consent letter back, you not only put, I do not consent, but you get your child to sign, they do not consent. And you say you do not consent to Gillick competence being used. Yes, that's one thing I put in the letter. I just do not. I just simply don't accept. There are so many things that we do not accept that children are entitled to uh, give consent for. They they they're not. They can't go and consent to get a uh, an ear piercing for goodness sake. They can't consent to having a tattoo. They can't consent to buying alcohol or cigarettes. They can't consent to underage sex. They could be in a loving relationship for three years and they're still legally not regarded as being capable of consenting to that. But yet somehow mysterious. Seriously, they can consent to medical treatment. Yes, that's right. You can't do X, Y, Z, A, B, C and D, but uh, you can consent to have a jab that's still in trials and that is already proving to be causing great harm to people and that might give you inflammation of your heart muscles. Yes, let me read one or two comments. Mark and Mindy says, I spoke to some nine-year-old children today. All of them said it was poison and they wouldn't touch it I thought great well done kids and parents says Mork and Mindy I hope the parents were present I wouldn't be speaking to any nine year old children about jabs or or, or what not I wouldn't be doing that that's just me I can be curmudgeonly sometimes, can't I? No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be speaking to any children about medical procedures. None of my business. Luke says, I'm 15. How you doing, Luke? And my parents have educated me. No way in hell would I take it. In fact, I don't trust any officials anymore. Neither do I trust the flu jab. They push on us in my school, says Luke. Thank you, Luke. 7%, Luke. It's got a 7% success rate. That is if you believe the government. 7%. Yes, that was my, that was when I first did my leaving certificate, because I had to repeat it, you know, because I've got all the brains of Cletus, the slack-jawed yokel, or at least I did the first time I did it. That was my score in my leaving certificate, 7%. No, it was better than that. I got an E first time round. Numerically dyslexic me. I got an E. I got an E. William lives in the small town, in a small town, in the northeast of Scotland. His local football team had a minute silence for two people one week, and in my 20-plus years of going there, I'd never heard the likes of it. But to make matters worse, two weeks later, they had a minute silence for three people, all elderly, so I'd presume all of them are juiced up to the eyeballs, God rest them. Seems when I look in the MSM, another celebrity has passed away. I think three people from the Gogglebox TV show have passed away recently. Is it me or are people dropping like flies? I don't know, William. People do die on a daily basis. I don't say that to be sarcastic. You might very well be right. It might be the jab. I don't know. Patrick says, of course it's the jabs, read the supermarket. How can there be any doubt about it now? Well, there's always doubt, Patrick. Could be anything. It could be anything. It could be a vomiting and diarrhoea bug. Remember them? It could be gastroenteritis. God, I loved my GP when I was younger. She was fantastic at giving me weeks off work whenever I was pissed off. And school, by the way. 
just write off an old gastroenteritis. Yeah, that'll do. You don't sound the best there, Richie. I'm fed up with things there, Dr. F. Are you, Richie? Pissed? I am. I'm pissed off. Here's a certificate for 10 days, Rich. Off you go, son. Go and watch some football. Take the train to Dublin. Get pissed right up. You've got gastro gastroenteritis now for 10 days. That's the one. Patricia says there is definitely something nefarious going on with the jabbed people, but I do have to admit the visual of the big baldy guy with a small trolley standing at the cashier made me laugh. Yes, I'm like I'm like primitive man. I'm bent over. You know, you know the evolutionary cartoons of the ape turning into the man, yeah? Well, when I'm pushing a small trolley around my local supermarket, I represent the, the base, the very beginning. I'm hunched over because I'm so tall. Six foot six I am, and it's all in proportion, ladies. I'm prepared to supply photographic proof of that very thing. No, I'm not, by the way. Well, maybe for the right price. Hi to Craig, who says there's plenty of drivers available, but significant numbers of them have been effectively grounded due to various regulations, not just the COVID ones too. Be a bit more explicit, Craig. I think you are right, but... Let me know about these regulations. Isn't that an amazing coincidence? When I was in the old park this morning, I met a lovely man called Mike, and he has a retriever doodle. Now, Mike didn't have the breeding done before you scream at him. Mike rescued the retriever doodle. Mad looking dog, lovely looking dog, but mad at the same time, you know. Mike says to me this morning, it's only the first time I'd ever met him. He said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a journalist. Right. He says, I, I'm a HGV driver. This is before I went to the supermarket. I said, it must be mental. And he said, yes, I, I drive some of the time and I'm in the office some of the time. And we are crying out for drivers. We are crying out for drivers. He said, I might try and do the licence myself for the crack. It's going to take a while, you know. I have, I have a driver's licence, obviously, because I drive a car. I'm not sure about it. When we moved to Manchester in 2000, late 2003, from from Ireland, when I first fell out with the media, not with my company, but with the media, we went to Manchester. One of the things I thought about doing was getting a bus driver's licence for the crack. I used to have these ideas about having things in reserve, you know. If things went a bit mental, well, you can drive a bus, Richie. But I never did. I'm a, bit, I'm a bit like Toad from Toad Hall. I've got all these fantasies about things I'd like to do. But ultimately, I never do any of them because I'm a big lazy bastard. Christine is in Limavady in County Derry. How you doing, Christine? Thanks, thank God for you, Christine. None of that London Derry bollocks. It is Derry. Richie, we've had very limited electric suppliers as a result of the troubles. We also cannot get all the major supermarket brands here. Nothing to do with Brexit, she says. I must also say my little fur baby was on a raw food diet that was made by a small business in the UK. We've not been able to get that since January. That is a result of Brexit, says Christine. The manufacturer just cannot be bothered with all the paperwork involved to send it to Northern Iron. Northern Iron, says Christine. It's time for Chris Ria. I'm the BBG. Nice to speak with thee on Tuesday. Love to be with you, as always. Welcome to the programme. Loads to come between now and the end of it. I don't know when the programme's going to end today. Stay with me. Keep the comments coming in through richieallen.co.uk.
Chris Rhea Let's Dance on the Richie Allen Show, live from BBG Towers in Salford. The only UK monument that can be viewed from the Great Wall of China. Which can be viewed from the moon. Right, Karen was on to say, I wonder if the government here in the UK hasn't gone too far when they overruled their own statutory body requesting the 12 to 15 year olds be jabbed. Karen is referring to the fact that the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation did not recommend that the youngsters be jabbed. So Karen says, has the government gone too far? Because that might lead to a huge percentage of pro-jab people standing against the government guidelines and policies, forcing the government to retract to keep an appearance of control, which could, on its own, set a huge precedent in showing that the population doesn't have to follow every single government guideline by the letter. The population has, in fact, the right, therefore the population has the right and the power to question the government positions and decide for themselves. It'll be interesting to see how that one pans out, says Karen. Keep those comments coming in, please, through the usual avenue. Get in touch with me through my website, richieallen.co.uk. Okay, now, where was I? You've been following events in the state of Victoria, haven't you? In, 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 in Oz, down under. Hi to Jackie in Oz, by the way. How you doing, Jackie? Australia's Victoria state, as you probably know now, because you follow these things, has shut down construction sites right across Melbourne. This is because of a protest against mandatory COVID-19 vaccines. Now, the dirty, rotten, stinking, lying BBC, what's new, is calling the protesters, is, has labelled them, blanket labelled them as being violent. Not true, of course. From what I've been able to, to ascertain through the footage that I've looked at, Online, It is the geared up to the tits Robocops in Melbourne that started the violence that provoked the construction workers. So basically as a result of this, right, as a result of the protests which generated the scuffles, um, sites, some sites are going to be shut for two weeks. Construction workers have said... We're not going to tolerate being told that we need to prove that we've been jabbed to turn up to work. So this is an announcement from the Australian, well, from the Victorian government, that from Thursday the 23rd of December, which is two days from now, construction workers will be required to show proof that they've had at least one jab to begin hammering and chiselling on site and other stuff. So... The union, the CFMEU, said this is dreadful and condemned it in the strongest possible terms. The mandating. Have a listen to Sky Australia reporter Julia Bradbury. Sky Australia is an interesting organisation because it has, it's, look, it's probably still a bit mainstream light, but it hasn't gone with the government and with the agenda 
on the jabbing. Here's Julia Bradbury talking about events in Melbourne. There's been about a six-hour standoff between police and protesters, as you say, over this decision that was made by Victoria's government to mandate COVID vaccinations for the construction workforce, which comprises about 300,000 people here in Victoria. We've seen protests become quite violent today. Police have been using tear gas, rubber bullets. They've been using pepper spray to try to disperse the crowd. The demonstrations began here at the CFMEU headquarters, which is the head office for Australia's biggest construction union, where scenes turned quite ugly yesterday. Protests then went over to Victoria's Parliament, where police lined the steps of that parliament. They then went over to Flinders Street Station, which is one of our biggest train stations here in Melbourne. But quite extraordinarily, we then saw protesters take over the Westgate Freeway, a major freeway here in Melbourne. Traffic was banked up for about six kilometres. Traffic came to a complete standstill because of these protests. They're angry about the fact that vaccinations are going to be mandatory, but also about the fact that Victoria's government made a snap decision late last night to close the industry for the next two weeks. Right, Julia Bradbury there reporting for Sky Australia. Some of my Australian listeners are taking this as very positive, the construction workers' protest there. Okay, it's a 24 minutes to the top of the air. This is your Richie Allen show broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. On the old jab then, the ginger ninja Wiggins answer to Lois Lane K. Burley herself was speaking to a University of California professor. How's COVID going there? She asked the professor, whose name is Peter Chin Hong. Tell us about the boosters there, said Kay. So here he is, University of California, infectious disease expert, Professor Peter Chin Hong. Interesting little snippet this, speaking about the boosters. Yeah, so we're expecting the CDC decision to rule on um, boosters either this Wednesday or Thursday. It will apply first to those who are 65 and older and in two additional populations. Those whose work put them at increased risk for COVID exposure like healthcare workers, as well as those with multiple medical comorbidities. So not uh, everyone in the population. I think the FDA was was being very um, science-driven, although they did include some of the other populations like healthcare workers who are not included in the science. Um, And I think people are sort of, you know, not, rushing down to get boosters, so to speak. Uh, It's probably going to lead to a modest uh, increase in vaccinations. But again, you have 80 million Americans who are not vaccinated. So it's kind of like a seesaw where, you know, there's a lot of people on one end, but uh, not having a lot of, uh, you know, bi-directional movement, so to speak. Mm, 80 million Yankee Doodles are refusing to have the jab. This is very interesting, that, isn't it? So what happens then? Well, he gives a he gives a bit of a clue as to what will happen. To speak after Kay's next question. Quick thought, Professor, on uh, vaccinating children. Um, topic of um, contention here in the United Kingdom: twelve to fifteen year olds being vaccinated from this week. What's the situation in the US? Well, the debate right now for the twelve to fifteen year olds in the US is whether or not they'll be mandated to get vaccines in school districts. 
the LA school uh, district, the unified school district of LA, the second largest school district in the country, recently uh, announced a mandate for that particular age group. And certain areas in the San Francisco area also uh, noted some similar mandates. So I think it's not fully FDA approved yet, but I think many people, depending on where you live in the country, are supportive of it. Of course, today's announcement of the data for uh, 11 to five-year-olds does, you know, again, lead to the idea that schools eventually are going to have this as part of a mandate. Schools are eventually going to have this as part of a mandate. The Pfizer said it's trials of five to 11 year olds, it's trials involved, which which involved jabbing a couple of hundred five to 11 year olds, came back, came back fine and hunky-dory, don't worry about it. We'll be jabbing your kiddies. He said that this basically shows that the, the US will be moving towards a policy of mandating for school children. This will be the response to 80 million people saying no thank you. They'll try and coerce the parents through the kiddies. No doubt about it. It's 20 minutes to the top of the hour. It's your Richie Allen Show. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yes! Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! Sounds terrible, the yes! picture's not that great. Yes! Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old, we've had loads of experience and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously, ensignfilms.co.uk. You're listening to the saviour of the independent media. It's your Richie Allen. And I'm with you, I don't know until when, John O'Loonig, as we would say in Ireland, John O'Looney, the Milton Keynes-based funeral director, was due to be on the programme today, but I'm taking it that he won't be because I've not been able to raise him today. I've tried a few times. That's okay, things happen. Shite happens. And then you just improvise, adapt and overcome. That's what you do. No whinging here. I'll stick with you for a while. I've loads to tell you anyway, so it's going to be, you know, we're going to be here for a while. We're going to be here. Put the kettle on. I'll tell you what you'll do now. Put the kettle on. We're going to be here for a while. A while, I'm telling you. So I'll take another tune. It's back to the 1970s then. And a wonderful little ditty from Earth, Wind and Fire. This is September... On your Richie Allen show, the BBG, not the BBC. Earth, wind and fire, September. September, that's the one. 15 minutes, 15 and a half minutes to 6 o'clock then. Tuesday's programme, the 21st of September, 2021. I'm at your BBG. Check out richieallen.co.uk. Very busy there yesterday with articles. A bit quieter today because I had lots on. Hi to Chris with a K and two S's. How you doing, Chris? If the vast majority of adults are gillick gullible, then how the feck are our kids going to comprehend what's going on? That's a good question, Chris. One I can't answer. Good question. Faisal on the website says closing down construction industry for two weeks. Looks to me like the Australian government is looking for a fight. 
Joan says, how you doing, Joan? Richie, Canada's election yesterday, surprise, surprise, Trudeau got back in. We have the Dominion offices here, uh, the same machines that counted the US votes. Me thinks it may have been fixed. What a waste of money. I believe it cost one billion Canadian dollars, says Joan. He is back in with a minority. But he's not, of course, playing it like that. He's playing it like he's been given a mandate. The dreadfully woke Justin Trudeau. What can you say about Trudeau that hasn't been said already? I can't think. Linda says, Richie, I filled in the form to decline consent for the flu jab for my boys at the end of last week. Richie, I felt like a cat on a hot tin roof this week regarding this COVID jab garbage. Not heard anything as yet, but I've spoken with the children every day for updates. They told me that quite a few of their classmates declined the flu jab, which surprised me, says Linda. It's a pleasant surprise, Linda, isn't it? It's good news. Absolutely good news. Kevin Mack says, Richie, I was just thinking about how I first got to you and the path was Joe Rogan, Alex Jones, Gerald Salente, Richie Allen. Thanks very much, Kevin. Heather is in Dubai. How you doing? Uh, sorry, Heather is in Dubai. That's right. How you doing, Heather? I was up the Burj Khalifa in Dubai the other day, and I can confirm, without any scientific or photographic evidence, I could see BBG terrors from the 145th floor at a girl, Heather. So it's not just the Great Wall of China then. BBG Towers. It's it looms over it looms over the constituency office of Rebecca Long Bailey. Salford and Eccles Member of Parliament. It's been too long since I screamed that at you. Rebecca Long Bailey. Now Sleepy Joe Biden then, in his first address to the United Nations this afternoon, screwed up about 76 different words. Did you notice that? Hey, hey, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. I should have said shouldn't throw sticks, shouldn't I? That would have been funny. Um, But yeah, Biden was there. At least his body was there anyway. And he pledged cooperation with his allies through a decisive decade for our world, he's going to take on the COVID curse. He's going to take on the imminent threat of climate change. That's what he talked about today. We must work together like never before, said Joe. So this is the 76th General Assembly in New York City. And the BBC says it takes place against the backdrop of a climate crisis and a once-in-a-century pandemic, both of which have sharpened global divides. That's the BBC bullshit anyway. Here is creepy Joe Biden speaking from New York City this afternoon. Creepy Joe. And tomorrow, at the US-hosted Global 19 COVID-19 Summit, I'll be announcing additional commitments as we seek to advance the fight against COVID-19 and hold ourselves accountable around specific targets on three key challenges. Saving lives now, vaccinating the world, and building back better. Vaccinating the world and building back better. Ah, the slogans. Saving lives now, vaccinating the world, and building back better. This year has also brought widespread death and devastation from the borderless climate crisis. 
the extreme weather events that we have seen in every part of the world, and you all know it and feel it. His brain cells are dying at a faster rate than people are dying from COVID or from climate change. Represent what the Secretary General has rightly called Code Red. Oh yeah, Code Red, this is the new thing. For humanity. Code Red for humanity. And the scientists and experts are telling us that we're fast approaching a point of no return in a literal sense. Yeah, the scientists and the experts. That dipstick Al Gore, a close personal friend of creepy Joe Biden's, if you'd have believed Gore when he made that crap documentary all those years ago, we were already going to be submerged. Didn't he say that in an inconvenient truth, didn't he? He said large parts of the world would already be submerged, didn't he? And yet they're not. To keep within our reach the vital goal of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, every nation needs to bring their highest possible ambitions to the table when we meet in Glasgow for COP26. When they meet in Glasgow in a few weeks' time. And then they have to keep raising our collective ambition over time. In April, I announced the United States' ambitious new goal under the Paris Agreement to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from the United States by 50 to 52 percent below 2005 levels by 2030 as we work toward achieving a clean energy economy with net zero emissions by 2050. Right. Now, listening to that garbage was Bryony Catherine Worthington. Bryony. Immediately you know who she is, don't you? Uh, no, I don't mean you know who she is, but you know what she is. Bryony. What a load of bollocks. Bryony Catherine Worthington, or Baroness Worthington. She's a, an environmental campaigner and is a life peer in the House of Lords, which means that she gets £300 a day. Just for turning up, getting pissed, falling asleep in the afternoon, snoring and farting her way through till five o'clock and then going home. I'd love to be a life peer. She used to work for Friends of the Earth as a climate change campaigner. She then worked for DEFRA, the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. She's an awful idiot. She was on Sky News with Sarah Jane Me listening to Joe Biden. Okay, And Sarah Jane Mee said, now the president acknowledged that there are a lot of people in his own country who do not believe in climate change as caused by man and CO2. What should we do? Here's Baroness Bryony Worthington. Yeah, the, the US is, uh, like many countries, suffering from continental weather patterns, which means it, it will not be able to escape the impacts of climate change. It will be, it will be impacted. And uh, there's no really, no really escape from that. But what you'll see and what we have seen is a lot of sp money spent on disinformation, misinformation. And we're all consuming our news in different ways now. And really, there, there hasn't been a concerted effort to get the American people behind the science. And it, that's going to be a big challenge. It, there's going to have to be a really big push to educate people and bring them along. And hopefully it will be done through the presenting of a very positive vision, that this is a way of us securing our future, generating good jobs, building back the economy, building back better, as the phrase he used. And going in on that positive note, hopefully he can win through new audiences in ways that if you just try to 
browbeat people and make people feel guilty, they might not succeed. But there is also this need to counter the act of disinformation that we know is happening. Disinformation, we've got to counter the disinfo. The disinfo. You are going to hear so much of this in the coming weeks. Not in the coming months now, in the coming weeks. You are going to, there will be an avalanche of coverage of the need, sorry, coverage, whereby various talking heads will be dragged out morning, noon and night to claim that it is important that something is done imminently about disinformation because it's killing people. They'll say it's killing people who, 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 who don't get jabbed. And it's killing people who don't believe in climate change. This is going to be the thing now. This online harms bill that they are working on as we speak here, the, the UK government. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah, he really did try to sell it to the domestic audience, didn't he? Talking about a better quality of life, uh, the creation of jobs, a better economy. But he did strike... Um, a very sombre tone at the beginning of his speech. He said he would stand at an inflection point in history. This is a decisive decade. And you can't help but think of the report that the UN released earlier on this week. Um, scientists looking over reports that have spanned a number of years to come up with this latest report that says um, the world is on a catastrophic path to 27 degrees Celsius, which is way above the limit that was set um, by the Paris Agreement, a cap agreed there of 1.5 degrees Celsius. That just shows you the seriousness of the issue. Was there a question in there, Sarah? Of course there wasn't. That's a statement. 2.7 degrees. If the average temperature of, of planet Earth was to increase by 2.7 degrees in the next 10, 15, 20, 30 or 40 years. Of course it wouldn't have catastrophic consequences for the planet. And what's amazing about this is, and Sarah Jane me at Sky will know this, is that there are many environmentalists who do believe in climate change, but they are getting sick to death of the prophecies of death and doom and Armageddon by the likes of Friends of the Earth and Extinction Rebellion. It's nonsense. Even if the planet was to warm by 2.7 degrees, it's not going to result in the catastrophe they're prophesizing today. What did this Brian E. Worthington say? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the code red has been sounded. And it's... Code red. Biden said code red. Biden said build back better. It's true that... We are starting late. Um, the U they give them talking points. They get talking points sent to them pretty much every other day. It's why they're in lockstep. It's why if you do my job, you hear them speaking from different parts of the world and they're using the same language, constructing virtually the exact same sentences. They're given talking points all the time. The US has known about this for at least 30 years. Um, you know, There was a period under the Bush administration where the US could have led a multilateral approach to tackling climate change and really regulated the fossil fuel industry. That opportunity was not taken. 30 years on, we've had lots of different people in the, in the White House. None of them have really put climate change at the top of their agenda. Is Biden going to do that? There's signs that he might,
But there's so many other problems going on in the world today. And you saw from the length of his speech and the breadth of the issues he covered, it's going to be challenging to keep it at the very top of the agenda. Yeah, you could sum up Biden's speech in a couple of sentences, really, or I should say a couple of paragraphs. Biden basically said COVID and climate change threatens humanity, threatens the existence of man. And we need to take extreme measures, measures that many people won't like, but we need to do it to save man, mankind, and to save the planet. And I won't bore you by going over the many things they plan to do because we talk about it too often on the programme. That's basically what Biden said today. And it's being echoed by Johnson, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, and the European Union heads and everybody else all in lockstep. COVID and climate change threaten to wipe mankind off the face of the earth and destroy the earth at the same time. Therefore, any measures, any measures, however horrifying, however unthinkable, must be considered. And at the very beginning, and I think I said this a year ago, it'll be climate lockdowns. I was saying this before anybody mentioned it. I'm not bigging myself up because I don't do that. I said it a year and a half ago. I predicted it. I said they would say, wow, look at the, look at how greener things appear to be. Look at how the air pollution isn't as bad in certain places. We haven't put out as much carbon as we normally do because of COVID. Why don't we take some of the measures used to fight the scamdemic, as we would call it, to tackle climate change, which threatens us all? But that'll only be the beginning, really. It'll be 24 hours a day monitoring, smart homes. I'm not getting into it because I said I wouldn't. And I'm a man of my word. It's 90 seconds to six o'clock. This is the Richie Allen Show. I'm going to read a few comments now, then take another tune and then come back and we'll talk about something else for a moment. To comment on my programme, go to richieallen.co.uk on the menu bar. It says comment live. So there you are. Comment live. Good evening to Steve T. Hi, Steve. How are you? Hi to D. Wilco. How you doing, D? Who says, regarding Sky News Australia, could it be deliberate? By them siding against the agenda slightly, they are helping stoke the public anger to provoke a more militarised response from the government. After all, these media companies are all controlled by the same people, ultimately. I think that's a shrewd observation there, Mr. D. Wilco. Hi to Darren. Hi to Lucy. Mark says, Richie, my daughter is an unvaccinated teacher. If one of her class tests positive, she must have a test. And whether it is positive or negative, she has to self-isolate for 10 days. If one of the vaccinated teachers has the same student in their class, they must have a test. But if negative, they do not have to isolate. That is Mark. Alan, no relation at all. At least I don't think so. Thank you, Mark. It's uh, six o'clock, by the way, in Salford. Uh, we're still on British summertime. The clocks don't go forward till October 31st, which I believe is Halloween. That's right. This is the wonderful Lighthouse family and Ocean Drive on your Richie Allen Show. The Richie Allen Show relies on your support to stay on air. Visit richieallen.co.uk and make a financial contribution now. 
Welcome back to the programme. It is three and a half minutes past uh, six o'clock. It's four minutes past six. Got to remember that little 15 second delay. Here's a little bit of housekeeping. A number of you have been in touch with me very recently to suggest that the programme is being tampered with. Well, it isn't. Not the way you think it is. You've told me that you found it difficult to listen to it through iTunes and Spotify particularly. And I said, right, okay. And as you were telling me that, Podomatic.com, which is where I upload the programme, got in touch with me to tell me there was a problem and it was a technical problem. It isn't that iTunes or Spotify are necessarily all the time trying to hinder the programme's reach. Not all the time. Sometimes they will cut the programme, which, which, which I have no control over, if, if, if it is flagged because I might have somebody on talking about, I don't know, pathogenic priming or something. But look, at the moment, if there are problems getting it through iTunes or through Spotify, it is an issue. It is a problem, a coding problem or something with Podomatic. And the company has told me they're on top of it. There is a fix in the offing. And right soon, you should have no problems listening through iTunes, Spotify or anywhere else for that matter. But in the meantime, listen to it live at five o'clock every Monday to Thursday, UK time. Here, UK time here, Monday to Thursday from BBG Towers. That's how I would do it. Listen live. I know you can't. I know, depending on where you are in the world, I know you can't. It might be at stupid o'clock in the morning. I get it. But go to richieallen.podomatic.com and you should be able to hear it there. Okay? So that's the way it is. As for the programme being cut, that's another thing. It does happen. Usually, when I edit the music out of the Richie Allen show, when I edit out the music, the programme that gets uploaded is usually one hour and 50 minutes or thereabouts. And sometimes I will go to Spotify just to check. And sometimes the programme will be 40 minutes in length or, or 30 minutes. I think what is happening... I think Spotify, particularly Spotify, where the programme is a well-known programme or has a big reach, like this one, right? I think Spotify is assigning individuals. I don't think it is, a, it is an algorithm. I think they are assigning real people to monitor these programmes and to cut them. This is egregious. I would prefer that Spotify told me to basically to fuck off and and didn't carry the programme. That would be more amenable to me. Okay, you don't want to carry my programme, fair enough. But the bastards don't want to be accused of deleting people's programmes. So they do something even worse. They monitor the programmes and they cut out large segments of it because I might have had somebody on. A. Dolores Cahill, for example, or somebody like that. Dr. Rima Lebo or, or somebody like that. So that's what's going on. Dreadful. Mackenzie says, Salut, Richie. I'm in the Alps in France. Can't go anywhere uh, because we are totally locked out of society here. I can buy food and that's about all. The protests don't seem to be working, which is a disappointment. I'm preparing for a hard winter. Stay well says Kenzie. Be well yourself, Kenzie. Yeah, the protests. The problem is, ultimately, everybody goes home. 
Think back, think Iraq war as they were beating the war drums in 2002 for invading the sovereign state of Iraq as it never raised a finger in anger against the UK or France or the United States for that matter. Forget about Kuwait and all that stuff. No threat to the United States. Nothing to do with September the 11th. They, a million and a half people went to London. The like of it had never been seen before. And told the government here, Tony Blyer's government, and that rat bastard Gordon Brown, and that evil psychopath Peter Mandelson, told them, no, you don't go and bomb to smithereens the innocent people of Baghdad who've never said boo to a goose. Problem is, they go home. I've said this too many times. I'm boring myself. John says, Richie, do you know of any human rights cases being brought against these vaccine mandates? You had a lawyer on in a past programme who had taken a case for a sacked security guard in the United States who refused the jab. That's ongoing, that case, John. But the answer is no. I don't know of any human rights lawyers doing anything here. Michael Mansfield might be somebody to pay attention to. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It is ten minutes past the hour. It's time for another story. Do you know who Tim Davey is? Well, you should do. He's the BBC's Director General. And he admitted to a committee of MPs today that he doesn't know if there are any Brexiteers among his top management team. He was getting a bit of a grilling, as I said, from the Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee. And they were asking about the hiring of the former Huffington Post editor Jess Brammer. Now, Jess Brammer is a woman who didn't like Brexit. She didn't like Brexit at all, at all, at all. And she is a big supporter of Black Lives Matter and taking the knee and all of that bollocks. So the Conservative Party have accused her of political bias and therefore said she shouldn't be getting such a big job at the BBC. So he was facing this committee today, the Director General Tim Davey. He was once a Conservative election candidate himself. Here he is. Have a listen to some of the exchange. I think it's kind of interesting. Tim Davey in front of the Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee. I want to make sure we're, we're, we're hiring for a broad church of individuals and what characterises them is ability to leave their politics at the door. Have you hired anyone who supported Brexit? Since your time as editor-in-chief? I have not asked I don't know, because that's not a question. It's not one of my... Right, uh, we know that Jess Brammer didn't. But, yeah, that, that may... Uh, yeah, but, uh, we're hiring people all the time. I have no idea whether... If I, I don't know whether my, where my top team is on Brexit. Okay. We've never, we, we don't talk like that. You're talking about, so there's a I've, diversity of opinion, but you don't know who supported Brexit. Well, it, it looks it, like you're just in the, in the dark, frankly, over yeah, your own editorial team. On one, on, we don't, that diversity of opinion comes from different backgrounds, life experiences, um, CVs, uh, you know, they're, they're, it, it's not a list of questions, we don't, have a list of questions when we're interviewing people saying politically what, what did you support and what didn't you support that's that's not the key criteria but you can do due diligence on people as well i mean for example i mean does it not make you slightly queasy 
that Jess had to delete 16,000 tweets, or chose to delete 16,000 tweets when her position was announced. Well, she chose to do it, I suspect. I mean, that must take a day or two. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 as someone who doesn't tweet too much, I've got no idea on the time scale. But the, the, um, surely one of the things we, that is a good thing to do if you join the BBC is to delete your tweets, get, you know, clean that. It's not, it's not that you're embarrassed by it. It's not, not that you're embarrassed by it. You, we, we hire people, and by the way, they leave as well. So if you look at the last couple of, you know, two out of the last four directors of comms at number 10, plenty of people have gone to different parties, look around this table. We've got, we've got people that leave to different parts of mm. the political sphere. It's absolutely appropriate to leave that at the door. That's what we do. And by the way, we've done it pretty well for 99 years. I just think it's tougher now, by the way. I think the culture wars are raging. I think we've got a real battle on our hands. I walk a tightrope every day on this. Listen to what he says again here. It's very important. He, he tells the Digital Culture, Media and Support Committee that maintaining impartiality, which, of course, the BBC never does. It's nonsense, but let's just pretend for a moment. He says maintaining it is going to become more and more difficult in the age of the culture wars and social media. This is what he says. It's absolutely appropriate to leave that at the door. That's what we do. And by the way, we've done it pretty well for 99 years. I just think it's tougher now, by the way. I think the culture wars are raging. I think we've got a real battle on our hands. I walk a tightrope every day on this. But we've got to fight for it. We've got to fight for our impartiality. This is... Just, just, just to be given the chance to speak to somebody like him for a couple of minutes, it couldn't be any easier to maintain impartiality across even, let's say the BBC has got 50 current affairs programmes. It could not be any easier. Please believe me. It is as simple as a list of rules that are very easy to understand and there are only really about six or seven of them. Number one, couldn't be simpler. Keep your own opinions or opinion on any given day or opinions in general out of your work. Never editorialise. Never express an opinion. Ever. None of your business. You don't tell your listener or your viewer what to think about what they've just heard. Shut up. Introduce the segment. That's sub, subheading, subparagraph one. The second one is, make sure that every side of the argument is heard. Every side of it. I don't give a rat's arse if you're with the friends of the earth and those sweaty, grubby bastards who are holding up traffic on the M25. I don't care if you believe them that Armageddon is nigh and that we'll all be under 10 feet of water in 10 years. I don't care. There are scientists and academics out there who don't believe any of this. Make sure they are represented every time you cover this story. And make sure they get equal time. It doesn't matter what the subject matter is, whether it's climate change, whether it's the COVID scamdemic, it doesn't matter. There are doctors and academics, tens of thousands of them, who sign something called the Barrington Declaration or the Great Barrington Declaration. Ensure that when you've got a member of SAGE on your programme, 
This is me now, the Director General of the BBC, Richie Allen, addressing the staff. When some goon, like Jonathan Van Tam, I wouldn't say goon, obviously, is telling you about why we need to jab all the kiddies. We have hundreds of qualified men and women who think it's a bad idea. Get them on your programmes. Make sure they get equal time. Don't interrupt them. And keep your own big beak, your own hooter, your own nose out of it. Do you understand me? These are the directives you give to the producers of programmes and to the men and women who present them. These were the lessons handed down to me when I made my break into radio in 1998. Honestly, I was told to shut the fuck up. Do not tell people what they have just heard. Ever. Make sure you get all angles. No matter what you think. Bring them all on. I don't care what your own political persuasion is. I don't care if you're a member of Sinn Féin or the Labour Party or Fianna Fáil. You leave it there. You leave it in your own house when you come to work every morning. This guy is saying it's difficult to maintain impartiality. It couldn't be any easier. Shut up. Ask a question, shut up. When they are waffling on, interrupt them and tell them to get to the point. When they've had their two minutes, bring in the next person. Well, hang on, you disagree with that. Tell them why you disagree with it. It couldn't be any easier. At 18 minutes past the hour, a little production 101 there. The cheek of Tim Davy to tell a committee of MPs that it's difficult to be impartial or that it's going to become increasingly difficult because of the culture wars. What does that mean? That you will be under increasing pressure to just bring on, I don't know, who, who is it? What Stonewall, is it? to talk about issues around LGBTQ plus ABCD people and that you will be less inclined to bring on people who believe that a woman is really a woman when she has ovaries and a vagina and that you'll be under pressure not to bring on the woman with the ovaries, ovaries and a vagina lest you fall foul of the culture wars? Madness, isn't it? Imagine they'd ask you to pay for that shit, the BBC. Imagine they'd ask you to pay for it. Give me a break. Speaking of the BBC, it runs a programme called Strictly Come Dancing. In the United States, they gave it the very unimaginative title, Dancing with the Stars, where professional dancers dance with celebrities. It is rubbish. I don't care how old you are. I shouldn't say that. It could be argued that it's rubbish. That's better. There you go. A couple of dancers won't be dancing this year because they have said no thank you to the offer of a COVID jab. So ITV's Good Morning programme spoke briefly to James Jordan, who I never heard of before today. I'm sure he never heard of me. And he won Dancing on Ice, apparently. And he basically says, to hell with the dancers who don't want the jab and give the job to a dancer who does want the jab. I normally would protect the professional dancers till the cows come home. But on this particular occasion, I can't, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, I definitely believe that um, they don't deserve their right on the show. Um, and the celebrities have, have every right to refuse to dance with them. And if, if the, the celebrities don't want to dance with the professionals that haven't been double vaccinated, that makes their job obsolete. 
There's loads of professional dancers that would love to do Strictly. Get them on now. Yeah. I couldn't quite make it out on the telly, but I think James was wearing a pair of knee-high black boots. And I think there was a little square patch of hair growing under his nose. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. You don't deserve your right to dance on the show. You don't deserve the chance to do it if you haven't been jabbed. It kind of kind of reminded me of Matthew. Now, this isn't the greatest segue, but any chance to play a bit of Matthew. Do you remember Matthew, dear listener, who phoned into BBC Radio 5 Live? He had his own hang-ups about the unsullied or the unjabbed. I had the vaccine. It put me in hospital for a day. But I haven't moaned. I've had the second one, and he put me in hospital for another day. But I'd much rather have that than COVID. <laughs> All right, but nothing beat this one. Why on earth should somebody who has refused to have it take a bed that I might need if I have a bad reaction to it? That's so good, it must be heard again and again and again. Why on earth should somebody who has refused to have it take a bed that I might need if I have a bad reaction to it? Yes. If you refuse the jab, you shouldn't be given a hospital bed. It should be kept free for Matthew for his inevitable reaction to the jab. Why on earth should somebody who has refused to have it take a bed that I might need if I have a bad reaction to it? It makes perfect sense to me, that. I don't know about you. It's exactly 21 minutes past the hour. It is the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Super Salford here in the great city of Manchester. Greater Manchester. Greater Manchester, that's the one. It's been a long day, and it is warm. You'll give me that. Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. Good film, good film. Scun on. Ma'anskanon, that's how we say it in Ireland, I think. Yeah, good stuff, it's 25 and a half minutes past six o'clock, it's just you and me today. Was due to be speaking with John O'Looney, the the funeral director from Milton Keynes, but I couldn't reach him today to chat with him ahead of the, the, the programme, which I would ordinarily do, and uh, he didn't get in touch with me prior uh, prior to the show and didn't get in touch with me during the show, so I don't know what's happened there. I don't know at all. Maybe he'll come back to me at some stage and explain why he isn't here. Uh, Lucy says, regarding James, the dancer speaking out, she doesn't believe that he'll be jabbed. Lucy believes that some of these people are not being jabbed at all. They'll get a passport, though. She thinks that for many of these celebs or Z-list celebs, they might get a saline solution. This is something that was mentioned quite a bit last year. We talked about that. You remember that if you were going to roll out something to the general population and you feared that it might do... Excuse me, let me say that again. If you're rolling out a jab to the general population, one that you know will harm many people, we speculated, didn't we, last year, that people in the public eye might be given something different to reduce the risk that somebody very well known would come down with a very severe reaction. Lucy might be onto something there. I certainly wouldn't dismiss that as an idea. I certainly would not. So, yes, I don't know. It's very feasible. I mean, it's, it, it, it would be easily done, wouldn't it? It would be easy to manage that, you, you would have thought. Your thoughts on it, please, through 
richieallen.co.uk. I'll be reading more of your comments in a moment. With you every Monday to Thursday between 5 and 7 o'clock ordinarily. Sunday morning melodies, of course, at 10 o'clock on Sunday is a completely different animal entirely. Do check out Sunday morning melodies if you haven't before. I think you might like it. It's just me, a few tunes and a few stories, raising songs and stories even, on Sundays at 10 o'clock. The Richie Allen Show relies on your support to stay on air. Visit richieallen.co.uk and make a financial contribution now. So tell me about the pressure that you're coming under. You've been quiet on that subject. I know that many of you work for companies. I don't mean necessarily social care, and I don't necessarily mean the NHS. I mean anything. I know that many of you are coming under pressure. Do share those stories with me. Maybe leave those stories maybe for a phone-in. But I know what's happening because you do tell me. I get emails from you saying, yes, Richie, yes, they are whispering. They are nudging us. They are saying in the corridors that very soon it might be, we might be told that we need to present proof that we've been jabbed. Do share that stuff with me, you know. Ron says to me, Richie, I did say that John O'Looney has been banned from Twitter. That's right. Maybe he has other problems, says Ron. That's right, Ron. I wouldn't... Listen, it happens from time to time that people don't come on. They can forget. Or they get caught short. Uh, I don't mean they get uh, they get stuck for, for, for a laboratory. I mean that things happen. I totally understand that. It may very well be that we rearrange for another day. Steve says the former BBC presenter Sue Cook has spoken about the BBC News and switching it off. She has, Steve. Sue Cook was on this programme some months ago. You can find that on Podomatic.com. A number of you are chuckling away at Matthew's comments about, about the unjabbed making way for him, giving up their hospital beds for his adverse reactions. Well, I, I remember vividly listening to that and laughing me backside off. I couldn't believe it. Hi to David, who says... David Keane, if you don't believe me, you can see it on the website. He says, this is the best show on the radio. Thank you, David. You're goddamn right it is. So please, he says, please support the show with a few quid a month if you can. If you can do, it helps more than you can imagine. Thank you, David. We've got about 546 patrons and we have around about 70 to 80 people who set up a standing order using the bank account details. I'd love it if we could get a thousand people regularly contributing three to four pounds a month because that would cover the expenses of the programme and leave yours truly with a modest, very modest it must be said, but workable salary. So go to richieallen.co.uk. There are bank account details on there, including the IBAN and the BIC numbers. Set up a standing order if you can. If you cannot, don't worry about it. But you might want to use Patreon as well. Now, the financial ombudsman got back in touch with me and said, we're taking your case to PayPal. And would you believe it? On the same day I received the email from the financial ombudsman, I had an email from PayPal. This was yesterday. No, no, last week, late last week. Oh, no, hang on now. Financial Ombudsman reached out to me last week to confirm it was asking questions of PayPal. 
yesterday, PayPal emailed me to say, right, seeing as you've involved the financial ombudsman, we can't continue an open dialogue with you. And I thought, you lousy bastards. I only reached out to the financial ombudsman because you told me, PayPal, that you were discontinuing the communication with me, severing it, and that if I had any more bloody problems, I should go to the financial ombudsman. You made it perfectly clear you didn't want to speak with me. And if this is news to you, what happened? What happened was, six, five weeks ago, was it? Four weeks ago, I was on holiday. PayPal basically told me to piss off that I could no longer be a client because I was in violation of PayPal's acceptable use policy, which I'm obviously not. I, I didn't take it lying down and I said, you can't do that. You can't close my account. Who the hell do you think you are? They said, we can do what we want. So we went back and forth and I demanded an answer. I said, I want to know why. Which particular aspect of your acceptable use policy was I in violation of? What was I doing? I can promise you I'm not on the game. I can promise you that I am not prostituting myself on adult websites, getting me dangly bits out. I don't have an OnlyFans website, as gorgeous as I am. I'm not doing that. No, I jest, I jest. But I said that because I read that PayPal were cutting people off that had been using their PayPal account to basically sell their bodies or images of their bodies. So I said, I'm not doing that. There's no money laundering. I am somebody who provides radio programs and I allow for my listeners to voluntarily support the production of it. That's all I do. So which policy? So, of course, PayPal wouldn't tell me. And, of course, PayPal can't tell me. Because the answer is some snivelling, cowardly, little fucker contacted face, uh, PayPal to say, you shouldn't have him as a client because, well, he's, he's a hate monger. That's what's going on. Happened, it happened to my pal Hayden Hewitt years ago with LiveLeak.com. PayPal did the same thing. But they're very careful not to give any hint as to what actually happened because that might open them up to scrutiny. But I'm not leaving it go. And if the financial ombudsman comes back and says, come here, Baldy, there isn't anything we can do, I'm going to employ a solicitor. You don't close down my account. An account, by the way, which PayPal gleaned thousands of pounds from siphoned off over the years because it takes 5% of every transaction. It's my business partner. You could argue. I would argue if I was Matlock. Yeah. I'm trying to think of another TV lawyer. I'm, I'm, I'm floundering here. My memory is gone. Mannix. No, Mannix was a cop, wasn't he? Wasn't he? Mike Hammer was a cop as well. Jesus. I don't know. Quincy. Quincy was a medical examiner. I don't know what I'm doing here. 25 minutes to 7 o'clock. RichieAllen.co.uk Support your show if you can and only if you can. The Urban Fox is on. I'm telling you. Start dropping me messages using any name or I'm banning the lot of you. I'm only joking.
The Urban Fox says that he used to love, or she used to love, strictly come dancing. And anything with dancing in it. I never missed the series. Don't think I can bring myself to watch it now. This is the Nazi regime being rolled out before our eyes in real time. I've got a lot of respect for any dancer making a stand. This is tyranny on steroids. Of course it's tyranny. How could a dancer be of any risk to his or her partner or competitors because they decline a job? The answer is they couldn't be. Absolutely right. Somebody called Promised You a Miracle asks, how can only a few hundred contribute to the programme? That's the way it's always been. When it comes to getting support for something that is put out there not hidden behind a paywall. Got to use my language carefully here. I don't want to say free because the Richie Allen show isn't free. It costs quite a lot of money to put it on. The streaming costs, I've talked about them before. The podcast archiving costs, the bandwidth, the website, it costs significantly. It, the, the, to break even every month, it needs about £1,900 a month to break even. You get me now. That's why I'm asking for, for, for 1,000 people to contribute between three and four, maybe five pounds a month. But it's always been the way that when you put something out there and you don't put it behind a paywall, this is well known in the broadcasting industry. It's well known in the business of the internet. If you put it out there and you ask people to chuck a couple of quid at it, more than 98.7% or something like that will never make a contribution. And of the other 1.2% or 1.3%, only a fraction of them will ever make a regular contribution. The majority of the 1.3% that will support, they will only do it once in a blue moon. It's always been like that. We've known that in commercial radio. It's the same sort of statistics when it comes to the numbers of people likely to engage with the radio programme. You know, if you go through the website and look at the comments, there are many, 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 many different comments from different people. But it's the same people. They are known as active listeners. Active audience. Your active audience the ones who will actually get deep down right into it with you are a fraction of your overall audience and that's what you're up against. So, so there, and it's, and it's one of the reasons why you very rarely over the years have heard me put out a call for support. I don't do it. I'm resigned to the fact the majority will never support it. And I don't mind you. I don't whinge. I don't complain. I don't cry. I get on with it. Why not? It's the way it is. There's nothing I can do about it. What else have I got for you today? Have I got anything for you today? There is something about James O'Brien, but I'm not going to get into it, really. Will I? No, I won't. I won't do it to you. I'll tell you what I'll do. As we approach 20 minutes to the top of the hour, I will take my leave of you today. Before I do that, though, let me mention, if I can mention it. I think I can mention it. My pal and your pal Spiro. Journalist, all round good egg, as is his dad Lakey. 
Spiro believes, because he's got a day job. And he works bloody hard at it too. Well, he's got a night job. He does a lot of long nights. He's a good egg, as I said. And he says to me that he believes that he may very well lose his 16-year career over the mandate. But he will never, ever roll up his sleeve under any circumstances. Amen to that, Spiro. And I know it's easy for me to say it. Because I am here, BBG Towers, and I don't work for anybody. And you might say, oh, it's easy. And I take that. I take that. It is easy. And if I was working a full-time job to pay my bills, I would be under pressure. But like Spiro, I swear, on all that's sacred, nothing could persuade me to take that job. Or any job for that matter. I've never been jabbed. You know, as as far back as I can remember. I took a tablet, or I was given some tablets by my doctor when I was heading off to Costa Rica back in 2002. My doctor said, look, take these. And I said, what are they? She said, they'll, you know, they'll deal with mosquito bites and stuff. You won't have to worry about malaria. Take these tablets. And I took them and I might have taken a tablet. But I've not had a jab since I was a baby. And no way I'm having the jab. And I know there's no way you're having the jab. We're in it together. I'm going to close out the programme today. It's been a busy day and a very long day for me. Uh, John O'Looney might be back on a future programme. I don't know. I'm packed out tomorrow. And I will be taking your phone calls, I think, tomorrow. It's either tomorrow or Thursday. But it's going to be busy tomorrow and Thursday. Dr. Paul Craig Roberts is among the guests on tomorrow's programme. Going to close out then with this from the Ramones. A great cover version. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with me. From the BBG, bye for now. See you tomorrow.